Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Bat Force Radio. We have an incredibly special show today. Obviously, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, we got Robin D. Cross in Canada. Hello. I'm Bat Force Tom in California. We got a couple more guys coming on uh, to say hi because we have a special guest. Is this, Robin, is this our fourth annual? I, I believe it's the fifth. The fifth annual. No, I got crazy. The fifth. The yeah. fifth annual, fifth annual Halloween Spooktacular with our favorite guest, Kelly Jones. <laughs> For this special season. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. What I love about, um, at this point with you and with comics in general, what I love about Kelly Jones is even if you're a casual, walking on the street, average Joe, maybe not into comics, but you know art, even that person, if you show him a Kelly Jones like piece, he might not know Kelly Jones, but he knows the Kelly Jones style and he knows the Kelly Jones Batman. And he will say, oh, yeah, no, I know that. I've seen yeah. that. And yeah. uh, that's kind of where you're at now. You are a living legend, pretty much. Well, I appreciate that, Tom. Um, I think you've been, if you do it long enough, <laughs> you know, if you survive all the different epics and eras. Uh, and and to your point, probably it is because uh, I kind of work within my own head style-wise. I don't really look at what what's going on. Um, I don't really uh, take that in. Not that I'm ignoring it. It's just that uh, I always feel that that uh, if something good is going to happen in my case, it's got to come from wherever it is inside that percolates. And that's uh, I and I don't know how that works. I I would love to give a definitive answer on on you know the style on Batman or Sandman or any of those things, but they just sort of come out of nowhere. And if you stick to that, your stuff seems to not date. It still seems to be fresh, at least to newer people looking at it. People who know it know um, that it at least, you know, comes from a sincere place. And uh, and there's a lot of energy in that, you know? It's still, when I, when I, you know, I'm doing a bunch of Batman covers now, and I'm always surprised that they get a hold of me to do it because you know there's so many good people now and the and the way things look now is uh 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 much more uh, much more uh realistic in that sense and i'm always surprised uh but they tell me they do well that's number one reason they ask is you're selling some covers for them um or selling some books so i'm grateful for that and i'm grateful uh to the people who encouraged me to kind of stay that way back when i was starting to do it in Denny O'Neill and stuff. I mean, he was the one who was really, uh, you know, 
uh, supportive. It, it never like, hey, I like you're doing these individual things or this part or this thing you did. He just would give a general, I like this. This is this is um, uh, to the core of who this character is. Uh, and he would just let me go. He would always he would always say, never think you're going too far. You know, not that I would say, Danny, am I going too far? But he would bring it up because, you know, I, I would be aware of that um, because I would see the other guys work at that time and they were all doing terrific stuff and it didn't look remotely like what I was doing. So I always used to say, are you sure? <laughs> are you are you really sure about this? And he was very cool. I mean, he kept me on there for well, I worked for Danny for 10, 12 years. So, you know, until he left. That is, uh, I think, one of the reasons why your stuff is so special is because it is so unique and different. And uh, you're mentioning um, some some covers that you're doing right now. I, I saw you post this one. Oh, um, yeah. And this is insane. Can you just talk a little bit about? Uh, well, they piece? wanted um, they wanted a a really good shot. They told me of the Joker. Just can you do something with the Joker? And they didn't really have anything specific in mind. And, um, and at that point, you know, you're, uh, when, when an editor does the really cool thing of saying, just give us something cool, you know, no direction, just something cool. That's, that's kind of how I came into DC doing covers anyway. So it was a throwback time. And, um, it was an idea that I'd had, uh, for, for a book that didn't come to be with, with the Joker and, and initially it was just him looking in, in a mirror and then it was framed really well with the teeth. It just, that was a last second thing where I had it and I went, well, I have this imp, this negative space above and below. I should do something with it. And it just bang popped in my mind. It's the reverse smile. Yeah, absolutely spectacular. This, this uh, image right here. For those of you who are listening to the podcast version, we have this up on YouTube, so you definitely want to give yourself an opportunity to check it out because uh, we got a, a good amount of uh, images that we're going to share. And uh, what what you mentioned before about the Twitter that uh, we were mentioning before we got on is that you're you're on Twitter now. Um, you weren't sure exactly what to share, and this is a perfect example of why it's amazing because um, we often see the colored and uh, finished right. product. But we don't see the blacks the way that you're the way that you finish it when you're done with it before you pass it off, and I think that's something that fans don't often see, and we love it. Just the raw art that comes off of the artist's hands, the way that they're seeing it, and uh, this is an amazing, amazing example of that with the blacks and the inks, and uh, the mani- look at that, just the maniacal Joker right there. Well, look, I, I. Um... I appreciate that because what you're what you're basically saying is is that there's a lot of emotion in it. And that's that's how I draw. There's a lot of guys and and especially what you're saying about it being in black and white because I I really don't think about how these things are going to be colored. And so I'm very, you know, with colorists I just say, well, you know, if I colored myself it would probably be very garish. I'm very primary color minded. Um and uh so I kind of leave all that stuff up to them, but I kind of agree. I mean, I like seeing stuff in black and white and I'm not a, um, I'm an artist who still works in, in the original tools and on paper. And, uh, I kind of hope for 
odd things to happen. Like this is one where an odd thing happened where the, the shot from inside the mouth, the inside of the mouth was an add on towards the very end. And I don't think that would happen any other way. Um, but I think it's interesting when I look at it, even after sometime I do that, I go, well, where did that come from? You know? Um, I don't know. I try not to think about that too much because I enjoy the surprise as well. Um, you never know how it's going to go and you don't know if it's going to look goofy, but boy, it's a lot of fun to do while you're doing it. That That's an interesting aspect to your art that, that you just mentioned that you don't uh, think about what the colorist is going to do with it. I, I think maybe some other artist will create their pieces with the colorist in mind thinking, well, the, the, the color will make this look right. Whereas your goal is to do it all yourself. You know, you're just thinking about, well, I'm, I'm going to make this look the way that it should look. And uh, yeah. then the color just gets added to it later. Yeah, on. I, I think it's more fun that way. If I'm a creator, I don't want you know, I just told you I like going in there with the editor saying do whatever. Well, I don't want to tell I don't. The only thing I ever tell colorists is bright because I've already done the black is already there and not to not to overproduce that black. But any thing they want to do from there on out i'm fine with it um i i usually am the worst person to ask about um colors in general because i tend to still think of comics as a very graphic black and white exercise at least for me i spend all my time with it that way i only see it a finished product for a moment when i'm checking it over and then i'm on to the next thing um but i like other people I I'm collaborating with to have the same freedom I'm having. And who knows, like, you know, a lot of times I'm really surprised it comes, it it will look pretty cool to me, but I think my, I'm most successful when the, the, the only thing they have to do is just not compete with, you know, if, if I'm doing a dark drawing, don't make it dark, you know, it's okay. Cause I've already done the rest and let people see all that line work and the, the, uh, the power of, of something graphic. Uh, there was a difficult time when they switched to Baxter paper uh, in the nineties, because you went from this nice soaked in even uh, paper to this really bright paper that did not hold things very well. It made It made things look thinner mm. rather than full. Mm. And uh, luckily they've, they've went to a matte kind of a paper now that I always ask for to be printed on map because it imitates the old uh, uh, newsprinty mm-hmm. regular, what they call crappy paper actually was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, if you look at uh, comics that were printed in that, they just look perfect because they're all even. Yeah. And nothing jumps out at you. Uh, it's like a record that isn't produced well, you know, drums are too high, bass is fuzzy it it but when it's all that's why people prefer probably vinyl still it evens it out yeah mm. yeah even uh even when it comes to the paper that they're printed on uh any pages that that are that glossy kind of finish on mm-hmm. them you lose the darkness of the darks because it's now shiny and it's, well it's and it not, does uh, absorbing does, the, the light it forces a, an artist then to think less actually than more uh and let the colors fill in that because they're no matter how good you are it's going to not look right um so because you don't have that evenness and uh the shiny just makes it 
not look you can't see the effort probably why you guys like seeing these things in the in the when i the scans i show are like color scans they're not black and white so you see all the mistakes and the but i look at that's how i look at art oh, i don't yeah. look at it in this pristine sense i look at yeah. it that way that that's the um i love seeing especially the black the inks and seeing because you could tell where you're putting in the like just every stroke of black and you're just seeing the effort. You're seeing the time of the. Well, piece. I like that you see the choices too. Yeah. I mean, there are times I'm inking something, and I cannot. I don't. Know, I can't speak for other people, and I'm not. What I'm seeing isn't like I'm right, but there's times I'll look at something and I go, I don't like that, and I'll just do a big sweep of black on it. Or there's an area that is dark, and I go, I want to work into that, um, and 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 render in and out of it, um. And I always think that a comic book should work uh, b- before it's ever colored. It should, if, 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 if they print, I always used to think if they printed this in black and white, would people still dig it? You know, would they still yes. support it? Uh, your stuff always. Yes. And, we need that artist edition. <laughs> and so I, uh, at that point, um, I prefer, I, I prefer that it works on that level. Cause that way I feel like I'm earning my paycheck too. You know, <laughs> a good example that I think we can use for, I mean, a Kelly Jones, please don't touch, keep it black and white, uh, <laughs> that you recently posted. Oh, oh. yeah. That is, well, that like... was, and that was one I just did for myself. I've had that in mind. I like, uh, I, well, I love universal films. I still love them actually more than I, when I was a kid, but, um, one of the things that I always uh, that I always wanted to do was I love, and I'll probably do some more of these. Oh, please! But I like doing Universal with not based on a model or a photograph or something. I just sort of how I see it, you know. Mm. And so it just comes from my imagination, uh, rather than me just doing a um, uh, a heavily referenced piece. Because uh, to me. Uh, especially with the bride, I always just, I just dug how she looked. I dug the energy in that. She's only in the film about what, four or five minutes. Yeah. And it dominates. You never forget it. So you, you know, for me, it was just like, uh, uh, if I was drawing it as, you know, seriously, if I was drawing it as a comic, that would have been one of the panels. That's how I see it. Yeah, and this is the exact. I mean, this is, this is perfection. Like, I, I don't need color on this. I think everyone can agree that everything about this is uh, this Bride of Frankenstein comic with Kelly Jones, please. Uh, whoever, <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> whoever is in charge of that. Um, and it wouldn't be just following the stills from the film. It would mm-hmm. be uh, obviously the the character design would be the same, but it would be how I would do it. Not that it would be better. It's just you. Why then not just publish it as a fumetti or something but uh i don't know how much of a market there is for universal but um (laughs) there is for me uh but but i love those and so you know i have a few more of those kind of rattling around that i want to do uh uh, just just so one day i can have them all for for myself to look at that's interesting i I thought this was something from a project or like a post no i just i was um Sometimes you do things, uh, I do at least, I'll do pieces for myself um, just 
so you stay true to yes. you're an artist. You know, not everything has to be you're paid and published or somebody is wanting it. It's just for myself. And that's I, how we, yeah. that's how we know you're still pure is that you still love doing this. I do. And, well, you try to retain as much of being that person just before you're hired to do it. That person who had enough skills, but no one's, you're not published yet. So you can only get there if you love it. You can only get to that point, not knowing you're ever going to be published, uh, but have the skills to be published if you love it. And so every once in a while you remind yourself, do you love it? You know, I still, I still do uh, Christmas cards um, by hand uh, for that reason, just for the fun of doing it. Now I've done it for so long, people begin to expect it, but um, it's just the pleasure. It's simply the pleasure of drawing. And I, I mean, I've said it before. I've, I'm still much, God, I'm totally a fan more than I am a pro. But I know how to do this professionally. I perform this professionally, but I'm, I'm an awful fan first. I, if I'm working with people who I deeply admire, they have to go through a period of me being goofy around them, you know, and asking them questions and how do they do this? You know, I was terrible with Doug Minch. I was terrible with Len Wein, you know, uh, Denny O'Neill used to always tell me now I don't have time to talk. Cause I would instantly go into, you know, tell me about Green Lantern, you know, tell me about Ra's al Ghul and how you, do, you know, I would always do that. Yeah. Now you, you, you have a, a yeah, I, was, I, was, I was just going to say, you, <laughs> you've in, inadvertently uh, alerted all of us to the um, Christmas card list that everyone will want to be on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I always Hold do. Hold on a second. <laughs> it started a long time ago and I just started doing uh I wanted to do one based on uh, a Christmas Carol, but I don't like nice Scrooge. I like mean Scrooge. Yeah. So all of them are based on mean Scrooge, you Ooh. know, stuff from the story where he's, you know, letting people have it and he's being a jerk and everything. And I always used to think, I wonder how people will like this. I like it, but they've really, it's, it's a thing that um, it, it's whimsical in, in that Christmas usually is all these nice sentiments and mine is uh pay me your money pay me the money <laughs> you know or uh you know i'm not going to donate to anybody it's all mine you know that kind of that kind of sentiment he has at the beginning and people dig that it's just uh it, probably because it um uh you know runs against the grain i can only imagine what you're Marley's ghost looks like. Oh my they God. should be. I, they're they're somewhere on Facebook. I published those. Uh, I'll show them. Um, uh, I'll probably when coming up on Twitter, just run all of them every day. Oh. I'll do a different one that I did. Um, I, I think there's a there's an a, an opportunity there that you could either have a, a Patreon or a Substack where one of the levels is people can get on the, uh, you know, for one of the pay levels, get on the uh, Christmas, card Christmas list. card list. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh that's very, Scroo that's that. very Scroogean. Pay me. For <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, you, you, yes, it, it is your profession to be fair. <laughs> well, uh, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I, I never, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm never sure how, and, and that's probably a good thing, I guess, but I'm never sure how anything goes. I never go into it thinking, yeah, this is, they're going <laughs> to dig this. Um, the only times I may think that is uh, if I'm working off someone's really a great idea. And then I go, well, anyone could draw this. This would be good. <clears throat> you know, um, Not something aimed at me, but just something good. Uh, and there's been uh, where I've been, I know that's true when I've worked with certain writers and I just, I'll read it and I'll go, this is good. Mm. I mean, there's others you have to sort of tiptoe around and do what you can, but on the really, really good ones, I, I've always felt like, uh, yeah, if I handed this script to nine out of 10 guys, they'd hit it out of the park. Mm. And that's what you look for. Something good like that. Something that, um, a couple of us saw, I'm pretty sure we put it in, in our group chat and talked about it that we didn't know we wanted. Now we want it. And I know it, it, it I think you said it didn't come to fruition. What we're talking about, like I'd never thought about a Kelly Jones version of this, yeah. but <laughs> a SpongeBob Kelly Jones horror comic. Uh, I would, uh, I would have, there was that and Popeye that they were uh, floating that. And, oh my God. Uh, and the funny thing with the, um, uh, with the SpongeBob was that's the most watered down one. They first said, "Do a serious. You cannot go too far." So I did one, and they said, "That's too far." <laughs> <laughs> and there's no violence on it. They're just really, but they're probably right in the in the retrospect because, um, you know, I did this one, and I thought, "Wow, what if I could have done the other one?" But as time went on, I went, "No, this is actually." This is pretty good this, for what it is. It's it's right on the money. And then the same with Popeye. Um, they had asked if I would do the people doing it, if I would do a variant cover for them. And I'd asked if I could do it in black and white, like the old Fleischer cartoons. Mm-hmm. And um, they let me do it and they loved it. And then they, they floated at me the idea of doing, well, maybe we should do uh, like a Popeye graphic novel a scary Popeye graphic novel (laughs) with the goons and the witch and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but as always happens, you know, regime changes happen within the companies and somebody looks at and goes, we can't do that. You know, that always. And I, I had felt at that point, just the idea of a scary Popeye or, or, you know, and they stopped making SpongeBob comics. So that's the only reason that didn't happen. But um, uh, that would have, I think would have been, uh, pretty successful, you know, uh, Popeye in particular, because it has some really scary stuff in it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, re- I didn't think to realize how his body lends himself well to your style as well. Well, it's exaggerated. And, um, I'm one of those guys who do not, uh, I went as a young artist and even before I became professional, um, had learned everything there was to do with anatomy, but I found that anatomy irritated me because it wouldn't conform to composition as what the way I wanted. And, but I stuck with it. And finally, uh, when, when I was allowed to do dead man, uh, that didn't matter anymore. It's a ghost. And I found that it was a far more successful result. And, um, and when I wasn't feeling like I had to be constrained by, that with Batman, not meaning that you you do it wrong, but they had to always show his body. I, 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 because I was always think of the cape. That's when the cape became his anatomy to me. Um, 
and it made him much more mysterious uh, to me. Um, and you can only do this by not thinking, well, what will everyone like? But what will I like when I when I sit there and finish that page that day? My eyes are kind of tired. But when I come the back the next morning to start the next one, I always leave it on the board. And if it makes me react in a good way, like, OK, I'm, I, that's good or that hits me because I've, I've rested my eyes a bit. Um, then then that's what I continue doing, because I, I have to assume people. Again, it's the fan thing. I went to the stores and I bought the stuff that I liked and you see it with emotion. You react with emotion. You you can't stop doing that and you can't start doing what do you think they'll like. You have to, you know, I did that at the beginning of my career and it was very successful. So I'm not going to say it wasn't, but it was not satisfying because that part wasn't being served. And then when I finally had that chance, I started realizing that whatever it took to get to that emotion, whatever rules you have to follow or break, you do it. And you know you're doing it good. This should be your new level of, you know, whether this hits or not. If it scares and pisses off some conservative Texas moms, you're doing really good. (laughs) Well, you know what I find? I find is that you you can do that to anybody because everyone (laughs) has this set of what they think something should be or whatever. Um, Art in and of itself in a big general highbrow thinking thing should have something in it that is risks offending someone. It has to, or or it doesn't work. Right. As soon as you, uh, as soon as you back off from that or apologize or do anything, you've, you might as well turn in your art card, you know, right. You, you, you have to trust that whatever that is inside is going to speak to someone. And it may not even be that you're speaking to someone. Now it can be 20 years from now. They'll look at it and go, wow, this is pretty good. I mean, how many times have you heard the lamentable stories of, you know, Lovecraft died in obscurity. And then 20 years later, he's become, uh, I mean, you have the American, Library put out his book in along with all the great writers from the U.S. government. Um, Library of Congress publishes him. Now he would have been shocked by that, but he made it. He made it for himself, and whatever happens, happens. You know, and I've and I think that and that's true of so many other people. Uh, I mean, I've been lucky in that that I've had a certain measure of of uh, notoriety, but the notoriety should go other either way. It should be. I love this thing he does too. I hate <laughs> thing he does. And it's the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's the exact same thing. Uh, probably what differentiates me from most artists is I don't think about technique and I don't think about a style. I don't think about those things. What I try to do is have the idea more than, and the idea I have to serve, not the tech, my style serves the idea. It's got to be that first. That's the only way I would get like a dead man. Or uh, when I was doing Sandman, I just felt he was too static in the book prior to that. The art was good. It was just a static character. And so I had to do something with it. And I had to start decorating it. And it worked. Um, And that was the second time that happened. So when Batman came along, 
I wasn't thinking like, well, this will shock people. I was more thinking, well, I got to stick with this idea because it's working for me now. You know, this, this, you come to it that way. And yes, it does bother people. And yes, it will offend certain people. But I've always felt in, if you do the kind of material I do, um, there's an air of tragedy in it. So there's a sadness in a lot of these characters. And uh, that's what I identify with. And the, and the, the red, you know, cause I'm not particularly a gory artist, although there's examples of it. I'm, I'm more of a, and, and when I do break these rules, I, it's still, it's still within the confines of comic book art, but I'm a guy who's still competing with the artists from about 65 to 80, you know, in that period that, that I was reading comics uh, that, or that were being produced like that. And so those are the artists I grew up with. And they were all so different and they were all so cool. Um, and their stuff still works for me. I mean, when I look at it now, uh, I, I'm actually in more admiration because there's such a personal sincerity in each one of these guys, even if they're just doing it to pay the rent. I want I wanted to ask a question from your comment before where you started using Batman's cape as a piece of his anatomy. Did you yeah. feel like naturally inclined to start playing with the size and the proportions of his ears at that point? Or did you, or did that come before? Or Well, I just, uh, for me, that was, I didn't think of him uh, like most people do where he's in a well-lit situation and you can see all the details. I thought of him as the bad guys would see him. That's who he presents himself to. Right. I try not to get into why does he do it and all that. He does it because it's the right thing to do for him. He's not crazy. He's, you know, he's actually very much in control of himself. And he probably reals, realizes the absurdity of doing these things, but in, in how it would look in daytime. Uh, but in the dark and in the night, when you can't get any help and he's coming from you, and that's the shape he looks like in a alley a hallway your wherever that would be pretty frightening to me that mm-hmm. would be very frightening if it was like pitch black and the first and I thing think that comes like in that, light if we're going to do it realistically i think if they presented it that way it would be very frightening because he is primarily to me a lot of it is just this this shape and it's and uh for regular people, and that's how I looked at it, because I, I don't think like a <clears throat> Arkham Asylum inmate. Um, for regular people, if if his goal was to frighten you, it wasn't the goal wasn't to I'm going to beat the hell out of you and beat you into submission. A lot of these people became criminals because of that. It had to be something more. Something more. Like it. it would make him stop, and so it has to be this. Old Testament looking angel from hell guy, <laughs> you know, something like that, that would make you say, you know, I'm going to change my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you, you recently mentioned uh, both Sandman and notoriety. That's something yeah. that I wanted to bring up because uh, I have prepared a slideshow. Okay. Uh, your cat, Hob, mm-hmm. as we see here. So Good old he, Hob. Yeah, Hob has recently become sort of a Netflix star. Yes, he has. Because, yeah, people may or may not be aware, Hob was your model for yep. Dream the Cat here. Yep. Uh, this is a, a page from issue 18 of Sandman, uh, Dream of a Thousand Cats, which uh, 
recently uh, as part of the Sandman Netflix series as a surprise mm-hmm. after the the season was dropped they put out an extra episode that uh, collected uh, brought brought to life both uh, the short story Dream of a Thousand Cats as well as Calliope into right. uh, one episode right so here is uh, Hob existing in the comics and then yep. here is Hob on Netflix yeah and Hob's his, a star uh, yeah he's, <laughs> he's famous now um <laughs> And uh, it's it's one of those things that that's funny in that um, they got a hold of me around the beginning of the year saying that they were doing this and it wasn't part. Uh, initially, they said it was going to be an eleven. Uh, they were going to sell it as an eleven episodes, and the guy who runs it. Uh, I think David Goyer had said, why don't we do it as a special, like an annual, like old comics would have an annual. So we'll run that. And then about three or four weeks later, we'll do an annual. That will be our annual. And um, they took those two and, and it's very kind of the, the effects people, the, spe- the ones who were doing that, that they loved. That was their favorite issue just as a comic book. Uh, for Sandman. That was their favorite one. And they had felt it was the gateway one that brought a lot of people in, which is interesting because I told them that's exactly how it was thought of when Neil wrote it was he was uh, coming out of a uh, Calliope was a reflection of him coming out of a, I think from exhaustion, he was uh, um, just had writer's block. And he was, and initially the story was supposed to do was a completely different story and he chucked it. And so he wrote Calliope reflecting on himself, which was a great horror story in and of itself. Uh, And then he followed up with something that I thought was interesting. He had just said, you know, animals dream. So Mm -hmm. he has to be involved in that. And uh, when he wrote, dream of a thousand cats i wasn't slated to do that but uh the thing that that had happened was um several artists had been offered and refused it because sandman's obviously he's not in it at all you know it's just cats and uh so when they called me i was just finishing calliope just about done or i had finished and they wanted to put me on, uh, uh, at that time, uh, they wanted to keep me in that office. So when they got a hold of me, they said, well, Niels would like to know, you know, uh, Karen had said that they both would like to know if I'd be interested in, in doing another issue. And I thought it would be down the road. And they said, no, the next one, which means we would send it to you pretty quickly. Um, but you may not want to do it. And so as soon as she said, Karen Berger had said, uh, several artists refused it for these reasons. I said, I'll take it. And she goes, don't you want to hear? And I said, I said, well, you can tell me what it's about, but I'm going to, uh, you, I'm on. She goes, okay, it's just all cats. The Sandman's not in it. It's just all cats. I said, I've got this. I'm, mm. It's mine. Because the competitive edge came out then. <laughs> uh, 
And then she goes, well, can you draw cats? And I said, absolutely, I can draw cats. As soon as I hung up the phone, I went to the bookstore and bought books on cats because I didn't know how to draw cats. Don't threaten me with a good time. I'm on no. this. Uh, but yeah, you're looking at a month of just drawing animals is how most are. And reasonably so. Uh, but because I did not come up to draw comics and I didn't think of myself as a comic book artist, and I still don't in that true classic sense of one um, that didn't throw me that the idea of just drawing cats, what meant, well, then I can really pull out all my atmosphere tricks and try all my lighting tricks and, and try different camera angles. And when I spoke to Neil, I told him that, and he was so happy because he says, you know, I'm writing this without human adjectives, uh, human, human descriptions. I have to come up with new ones because cats aren't going to say, uh, uh, use terms like we do. He would say, uh, if winter's uh, cold uh, cuts like a knife, the wind cuts like a knife, he can't say that. So he's got to say it's winter sharp. A sharp it's just the different terms. And because I had just said, I get different camera angles. I get different, uh, all different kinds of stuff that I would get to do that you can't do when it's people. And he, uh, and so we were on the same page artistically before it, I ever saw the thing. And, and you actually adopted a thousand cats because of this? It <laughs> seems like I live with them. I've got like nine or ten of them. So, um, and and yeah, it's it's true that in a way, Dream isn't in that issue, but he also <clears throat> is in the issue. And yeah. you got to draw him in a way that no one else. And I think he's more so in this than any other issue of Sandman because he permeates it. Mm. It is his true power that these animals dream too. And of course, it's a joke. Get a thousand cats to do anything, okay? Yeah. Um, but one by one, they are. So that day will come when it's theirs again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love that he will. Uh, so, what is the true form of Morpheus? Who knows? Yeah, I, I think it's fair. Like we we see things throughout. Like uh, for anyone who has read it, or uh, there was a little glimpse of. Well, it I don't know the, about you guys, but I'm already. Series. I'm all ready for our cat overlords right now. <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready for the cat to take over. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dream, Dream appears uh, as he needs to for whoever is perceiving yeah. him. You know, like yes. as, as we see dream... him when uh, we see how he uh, how he is perceived by Nada. Yep. And you know, it depends when and where in the world he is. And well, I used know, to tell them. I used to tell Karen, and I used to say to Neil, I said, "I'm going to change kind of subtly how he looks from time to time because dreams are that way for me. Things mm-hmm. change." And I said, "I think that would be cool. Everything else has to be what it is, but he can be what he wants, and it's subtle. It can't be overt, and it can't be to the point to where it shocks somebody, but it should be there." And um, and we picked up on that. I mean, uh, the. It, that was kind of the fun freeformness of not just doing salmon, but working in that environment at that time. Uh, comics had a real Wild West attitude. Anything that worked, do it. Anything that seemed from your heart, do it. Uh, editorial was more about making sure um, that all the technical aspects of a comic were taken care of, uh, deadlines. Uh, proofreading, all those kind of things, and that they were entertained by their, the creative people they were hiring. 
Um, they tried as much as they could to stay out of it. Uh, it wasn't just in at, at with Karen's office. It was uh, in Denny's office too. I mean, for me, they they just sort of. I don't think I got different rules. They just said, uh, "Do as you see fit." Uh, um, and I I didn't do that thinking I get to run crazy. It was with a lot of restraint then. Okay, then so then I thought hard about what I was doing to make sure I wasn't doing something stupid. Um, and Sandman afforded me to just go to town on it. Those were those were very pleasurable years because the writers were really geared towards setting you up for very imaginative visuals. I don't know if that goes over well now because things are very realistic, but in those days it was like wide open, come up with something, knock us out. I mean, Neil had a thing where uh, the gates of hell and he had it as this little like white picket fence. And I just said, no, we, it's gotta be the gates of hell. You know, <laughs> and he says, but that's going to be a lot more work. It's a double page spread. And don't, you know, the, I said, well, I said, you have it where we're all set up for this huge fight and it doesn't happen. And I said, if you see a little picket fence, you're not going to think huge fights coming. Mm-hmm. I said, if you see this horrific, bizarre, uh, fortress looking wall that goes on for eternity, you think there's going to be a big war. So when he goes there and nothing happens, that's a good pull the rug out from under you. And he went for that. It was very, you know, it's one of those things that it was like, oh, okay, that's cool. It wasn't like, oh, let's have a huge meeting and discuss this and the change and will it affect. It wasn't that at all. It was like, okay, we'll just go with it, you know? Um, and great moments come out of that. And the same with him. He would change his, uh, he had, we had decided on uh, how that battle was going to go. And he had said when it was first just talking about it, he, you know, he says, I know this is going to be tough because it's all the demons from hell. And I got to think of how Sandman fights them all. I said, well, Sandman should just bring all the nightmares he's caused. So the nightmares are fighting the demons. And he says, Oh, that'll be great, but that's going to be a lot to draw. But when it came to the script, he had changed his mind, said, nobody's there which to me was a lot better than a big, huge fight. Yeah, it's a, a big swerve. A lot more frightening. And where did they all go? And why are they all gone? And it started presenting questions that was better than just a simple monsters and nightmares fight. Although that would have looked cool. It wouldn't have been as memorable. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, uh, been... It, uh, it circumvented uh, expectations. This it way. did, and in a good way. Not in a way where you're cheated. You feel cheated. It's in a way where it elevated what you thought and you thought, and and if as a reader, you're going, Ooh, that's really good. Um, that's hard to do, but and, Neil did it. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't uh, read the comics. Uh, the unexpected thing was that Lucifer basically closed hell, kicked everyone out, uh, locked the gates and gave the key to hell to dream. Yeah. It's very, it's a very Miltonian view that, the sympathy for the devil that he did not choose this. It was faded upon him and he got tired of it because at his core, he wanted what he wanted and he still wasn't getting it and he never would. And nothing would fill that emptiness and he's got his own issues. And that was, you know, Neil's take on John Milton's take. Now, as someone who worked on uh, the Sandman that you did, what did you think of the Netflix uh, adaptation? I thought they were excellent. 
I thought they kept I, I, I know that there's always now um, people going to say there's this is different or that's different. And that and that's a worthy discussion and a worthy argument. I'm guilty of that, too. But as far as the tone goes, um, you know, you I always measure Batman films on. Does it have the tone of Batman? I don't care who's doing it. Does it have that tone, you know, from Burton to Reeves to Nolan? <clears throat> does it have that tone? So I did the same thing here and I felt it, it completely felt like the comics to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it also had the scope that I wondered if they could get the scope of it because Sandman's uh, not a linear thing. It, it exists in the past and in the future and in odd little corners everywhere, uh, no matter what. And it felt like that. Uh, the one I didn't think they'd be able to do is the cat one. Yeah. I thought when they told me they were doing it, I said, well, is it going to look like a cat food commercial? You know, you <laughs> follow a cat around. And and then when they uh, sent me some of what they were doing and it was animated, uh, knocked me out. Now, thought, is Hob getting royalties? Hob gets royalties. Yeah. <laughs> he's Hob, actually paying his rent. Yeah, he, 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 uh, he, he collects his... He collects he's, his royalties he's, he's, once every hundred years. There's a lot of fancy feasts coming his way. So, um, <laughs> no, he he uh, he's do he's digging it. No, I've I've always felt that that uh, when you go into these things, you don't lessen your, your what you're looking for, but you're looking for that feel you get when you do the book. Now, for for those of us who came to things by comic books, nothing will ever reach that because it's in your head. It's that emo- nothing. So I, I checked that at the door. I go, does it feel right though? Was I entertained? Um, and it does work. You can do that. If you see uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, it's very different in a lot of ways, uh, character, whatever, but the spirit is so strong that you can forgive it because, and it doesn't really even need forgiving go. It works. The intent is there. And I think the same thing happened. It's probably why Rings of Power didn't do well, because it didn't have that anchor of spirit the way Jackson had. Um, But the Sandman people kept that spirit. And it isn't, it it is very close to what you see. Um, And it worked. I mean, it's one that I watched twice. And on the second go, I enjoyed it just as much. Yeah. And uh, there was... I think the comics helped this be a thing in the show uh, because you get that thing where from one story to the next, sometimes it's from one issue to the next, Yeah, you get completely different feels like the, the change where we go from the John D episode in, in the diner and how twisted and dark that episode is. And then I think we go next into the sound of her wings, uh, the, the death episode. Yeah. And that is as good an episode of anything as yeah, you I will agree. see and is so uh earnest and emotional and i think that's why sandman <clears throat> went from a cult book to a mainstream popular book mm-hmm. right around seasons of mist because it's did that for a couple years where people go you get it's jarring at first when you don't have the same atmosphere tone of something it's jarring because you don't know what you're going to expect and they weathered that early years where it was you're just trying to sell the book because Neil's an organic writer. It's what struck him. And he used that character 
uh, for that as that vehicle. I was that kind of artist at that time too. I was looking for different. Uh, I, the reason I gravitated for, to horror isn't because it's horror, although I love it. It's that you have a wider range of of things you can do than in a superhero type of format. At, at least visually, um, atmospherically, emotionally, there's a wider range. And you don't have as much time to develop it, so you got to choose your images. And the same is true for writing. So Neil would, whatever would strike him at that time, that's why they were all very different when I was, was getting them as well. And that's much more engaging to an audience. At least for me, it's much more engaging. It's harder to do. And you've got to have a strong sense of who your main characters are. But after that, uh, you take everyone along for the ride. And I think that would be, if there's a toughness to doing it as a television series, uh, is you're not, uh, honestly, you're not accorded that much uh, patience. Whereas in a comic, you were. And when I remember on the being on the phone to Neil saying, hey, I just finished a signing. It was, uh, uh, I was about to start seasons and I just finished a signing for, um, dream of a thousand cats and the line was all over the place and I would love to think it was for me but it was for the book <laughs> and I could tell him I said they can't keep it in stock the local guys the guys I know run the stores are saying it's selling it's in their top 10 and it went from yeah a book we recommend to a book that they were putting in pulls because it went from you could get it anytime you wanted to, you better get your copy reserved. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, I'm. I know that's anecdotal. I said, but it, it, I'm seeing that, and I'm seeing people. It's one of the times too that that a book within that first blush beginning, people were coming dressed as the characters. Yeah. I just was that so I, I I said something happened here with this. Yeah. This is this is really cool. And um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you don't change. You don't change it. You just keep doing what you're doing. I think there's going to be even more of a resurgence into the interest of the book because I just went to a Dallas Fan Festival convention yeah. over this weekend, and Morpheus actor Tom Sturridge was there, and there were all these people dressed up as Sandman and. Uh, all the various characters. Well, I think, I think and, uh, I can tell you right now when they, they re issued the books for mass marketing, not just comic book stores and stuff sold like a demon. Oh yeah. And that, <clears throat> and that is new people. So yeah. Hobbs going to get some more royalties. Hobbs is Hobbs is owed. We all must serve Hobbs. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but but it is it's one of those things where you know okay it still connects it's what Mm -hmm. i was saying earlier that cat episode the same thing where people would say well just look at this because that's what happened with the cat issue the people on the fence they'd say well just read this one this is if you do you know who wants to explain two years worth of books you know or year and a half at that point well that's the easiest way to do it and that's true of any comic book you know, I was a big adherent to Doug mentioned when we were doing Batman of wanting he had wanted to do single issues uh, on a fairly regular basis. So someone could show it to someone else. 
you didn't have to know 12 other books. You didn't have to know a year's history. It's just Batman beating up a psychotic postman, <laughs> you know, uh, something like that. So, so that is a good, it's, it's, a, it's, I think palate cleansing too. And it's probably what kept Neil on there long, probably after what he wanted to do. I think, I don't think he wanted to go all the way to 75 issues. I think it was going to be shorter, but it was interesting. You know, yeah. Now, was Hob? When did you get Hob? Was he named for Hob in Hob the was named? No, Hob was named after. Uh, uh, if you're familiar with the movie, uh, because I'm an enormous fan of the writer of of the story. Uh, if you're familiar with the Hammer film, Five Million Years to Earth, which is the s- second. The second, I believe, of the Quatermass films. Anyone who knows that stuff, he's a professor, and he deal. He's a straight up professor, but weird stuff happens, you know. And in this particular story, five million years to Earth, while digging a new subway line, they come across this object, <clears throat> and the object is not made of metal; it's made of ceramics, something. Well, whatever it is, it's been there for five million years, and it's mm. alien. On the street under uh, above it, where they were digging, has a long history of very bizarre hauntings. And the street was named Hobbs Lane. Mm. So I took it from that because Hob in England is a nickname for for the devil. And they called it Hob Lane because before it was built. It had a bad. It was a bad place, and then they built the street, and it still was a bad place. <laughs> and then they dig it up. But I won't spoil it. Anyone who wants to watch that, it is uh, the writer's Nigel Neal. It's as good as it gets. It's still as good as it gets. And, what was the title again? Uh, Five million years to Earth. It's a it came out in nineteen sixty eight. It's absolutely. Uh, it's on the level of a classic H. G. Wells, in okay. it turns your head but if you get into nigel neal i think the, one of the most frightening things ever i've seen uh he's involved in two of them and one was an original story he wrote called the stone tape which was a christmas story for 1972 which is i believe on youtube and the other is for again for christmas and it's an adaptation um of a novel uh and it's the woman in black not the later one yeah. his for television i think is the single most frightening thing i've seen tv or film otherwise and and that was on youtube too i remember i looking believe it up it's the last on YouTube time you brought as well it uh i don't know um that might be harder to find i saw it on uh pbs around that time and it was uh nerve shattering as they say um unbelievably good and survives reviewing um, I remember Bernie Wrightson telling me that he felt sad that there was no horror films that scared him anymore. And I said, well, what about this? You know, have you seen this? And he said, no, I haven't seen it, but it wouldn't scare me. And I said, okay. So I found a copy and I sent it to him. And all I told him was, uh, watch this. Uh, no phones, no lights. Just watch it at night. Put it on TV. Get a something, your snacks or whatever, and just watch it. Just let it work its magic on you. And he says, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. And uh, a couple of weeks later, 
it he said it was the most frightening thing he had seen. <laughs> you you scared Bernie. Other, no, I've done that with other uh, Steve Niles, the same thing. I'd said, uh-huh. Steve, when you see this thing, it's going to freak you out. <laughs> and he says, but it's for TV. And I said, yeah, I know. And mm. and it's it will freak you out. So Hob came from that guy, that writer. Um, he's written a lot of great stuff. Uh, but that one really... Uh, five million years to earth is uh it's a huge story but it's a small and a small area Mm -hmm. uh it's been ripped off a lot by other writers it's it's just such a good idea um and i just love the street you know hob lane is great Mm -hmm. so so it's uh so it just became a a fun coincidence that your cat was named after a a a black cat man yeah, a black cat, Hob. Yeah, it is. It's it's one that I didn't think of as just Hob Lane, you know, mm. is where it came from. Something, again, if you guys are not following Kelly on Twitter, please do, because he's offering up awesome little tidbits and also connections that fans make that you were probably unaware of. One thing that I loved is um, we've always loved uh, your design for Freeze, and you gave us the exact uh, origin oh, of yeah. that. Yeah, where uh, Denny O'Neill did not like Mister Freeze. No, he did not. And he tasked you with, "Okay, show me what you got. Make me like him." Yeah. And uh, this is. Well, I didn't know that he didn't. I was I was totally unaware of that, and I just thought, as he was the editor, he shepherded all this stuff, and I hadn't seen him for a while, so I'd like the character, and uh, I had. I had no idea that there was this moratorium against him. So I, when I talked to Doug, Doug had mentioned, well, I don't think Denny would want to do that. He says, but you're more than welcome to bring it up to him. He knew he, he it was one of those things where you're, you know, sometimes when you're uh, being hazed, that's what it was. He wanted to see me go into that line. <laughs> And uh, so I, I went in there completely ignorant, and he uh, he just said, I, I'm, I'm starting saying, well, I'd like to do this thing with Mr. Freeze. And then he goes, no. <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. He goes, I, no, I, Mr. Freeze. And he gave me this long thing about why he didn't like Mr. Freeze. He thought he was a silly character. He didn't fit. Uh, the whole thing. And he was goofy, and he hated him from the television show, and they've never known what to do with him. And I, and because I had this image in my head of what he was like, and my absolute fear of someone freezing you, or freezing parts of you, that just was awful. See, I was thinking more of the horror film thing with him, a uh, a uh, 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 Frankenstein in a big cold suit. Um, mm. And I said, and I, and he just said no, and that was that. And then a little while later, because I was going back and forth, and I said, okay, you know, I'm not going to win this. A little while later, to his eternal credit, he says, look, I feel bad. You just kept, I, I should, you know, it's just, I was, I just so dislike this character. <laughs> uh, what do you have in mind? I said, well, I just see him really differently than what you're talking about. And he says, then give me a sketch. Give me an idea. Send it to me. Because um, they didn't have scans then. So I had to send it to him. And I'll let you know what I think. So I I wasn't going to kill myself on it. So I just got out some markers and did it and gave an idea. And, uh, 
he called me up a few days later and said, okay, I, you know, I like this. I like this. And that's where the, my going my own way helped because he mm-hmm. trusted that. He knew then that I was going to not be like the a standard uh, regular mainstream artist. I was going to do something weird. He, the design was great to him. And he says, okay. And then he told Doug, okay, I'm not going to give you, I, I still hate the character. So you don't get two issues, but I'll give you one issue. Doug called me and says, oh my God, you changed his mind. I said, I don't, I guess I, I, I just, I didn't know that this was a big deal. I was starting to feel bad. And, uh, but D- Doug wrote a great script that brought back that character. And now he's back in the, uh, uh, Rogues Gallery, or at, from that time on, uh, they even the, though the movie isn't that good, they changed how they were doing Mister Freeze to this Mister Freeze, the big armored suit, and not a little guy, but a big guy. Um, and it was one of those things where I didn't real it because I didn't know comic book lore the way it is. I was a comic book fan, but I didn't know all this stuff. I'm a lot of times unaware of the meanings of things, even though I've done this. I mean, I'm always, I, I was very surprised then about a lot of stuff. So he let us do it. And uh, he's not a great editor to me because he did what I wanted. He, he was a great editor because he could see stuff. Uh, Barbara Kiesel, who let me do dead man the way I did was the same way. She would say, uh, your style isn't my cup of tea. Your way of doing things is wonky, uh, but keep doing it because there's something different here. And you really are, you're, you're making me feel something is what she said. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not like, Oh, I hate it. It's like, this is different and it's unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a place for that in comics. Certainly at DC, she said, there's certainly a place for this at DC. And I was just starting at DC. Yeah. So uh, it's not that you need your editor to be your fan. You need your editor to, Kind of be that blocker for you to get downfield. You know, mm. doesn't mean yep. they have to like you. Doesn't have to mean anything. It just means they see it. And the yep. goal is to get down the field, and that's what they did. Did you ever? And, send... I, and I was good friends with both of them, so that was fine. But uh, no, I'm I'm I was the opposite of what Barbara liked, and Denny did like what I did, but it went so far that I didn't know if I would ever get work doing. Certainly not big time regular Batman issues. I never thought that. Did you ever send Denny O'Neill a Christmas card of Mr. Freeze singing Let It Snow? Uh, there was one that he was in, Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, was yeah. all these, uh, it was Batman. I, there was a year they had me draw it and I put Mr. Freeze in it. That's I didn't awesome. think of tweaking Denny that way, but that would have been good. Um, something that I think somebody pointed out to you on Twitter that you, you said you weren't aware of is this a design that was, in my opinion, this is my favorite Mr. Freeze design. He looks so scary and so awesome. Um, this design that you came up with, uh, Bruce Tim absolutely loved it. And he uh, took the the most um, prominent example of his yeah. uh, Mr. Freeze for the, um, this is from Batman Beyond, where he went that full I, Kelly Jones. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Freeze, and he mentions, I think it was like in a DVD commentary where he said, I saw that Mr. Freeze designed by Kelly Jones, and I knew I needed to incorporate it. It looks so scary. 
And you weren't aware that it was, this is what, this is your Mr. Freeze that's in the Batman Beyond. No, and I've never, you know, I've never spoken to Bruce, and but I did, uh, when they were doing uh, a book on the animation of, his, of uh, the show when he was first doing it with Paul Dini, um, I had so many times in the office said that was the best representation of Batman to me. Uh, mm. Films, comics, no offense to everybody there. That's the one. I mean, if, if I just, if I'm to hook people on Batman, not even my own books, I'm like going, <laughs> and uh, that had gotten back to them. So when they put out the book, they asked me if I would write a thing for it. And I did. Um, and I've everywhere I've ever went, I've always said how much I did what they do. Mm. Um, and to this day, in fact, uh, I know that they, uh, and I can't show it yet, but I did a cover for them for their bringing back Batman adventures. And, um, and I did a cover for them and they did the nicest thing where they had said, well, we want you to do Bruce's designs, but draw it in your style, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to do it. You just do it in your style, but in those designs. And that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I so you're the... doing Bruce's design, which was based on yours. Well, it's, <laughs> uh, back it's, into it's, yours. It's, yes, it's a, it's a weird incestuous circle. Um, but no, it was really cool to be able to do those characters like that, if, if only for a cover. Um, because I've always really dug that. I felt that it got right to the bone of what those that world was. Because it's certainly Gotham. And uh, Bruce is a genius. And I don't not think that he liked the, uh, what I did. Not that he liked what I did, but Bruce is a genius. So it's very kind of him to say that. And I don't think the uh, Arkham, uh, the Arkham City, the Arkham Games, Mister Freeze look uh, exists without yours either. I brought up a picture of it here. That's well. That's look, how he looked in in the game. Yeah, and I and I've always liked the fact. You know, it's one of those ideas that people can just take and, and riff on. Um, to me, it was simply so I could have a very dramatic lighting on him at all time, right? Mm. That this uplit thing. Uh, the fact that uh, I didn't think his suit should be weak in the in the least, because if it is, he'll die, right? He's got to be kept cold. Yeah. So it should be some kind of uh, like deep sea armor, you know, like yeah. you're going to go down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench that suits got a hold and that's what i always thought of it as so that would give him a layer of protection against batman um Mm. or whoever and this the the idea that that he would uh i there's no sound in comics but i always heard him walking you know those thump 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 it's like there's a lot with him that was frightening that he's not a guy who sneaks around like the other rogues do he kind of you know freezes the door kicks it in and does his thing yeah, and that that uh, that went a long way into reinvigorating the character. Uh, both how how he became in the comics, there, what we got of him, uh, the the really reinventing of his story from from Paul Dini in uh, yeah. in the animated series, and then how he is uh, with that look that I just showed in the game. Uh, he he's a different uh, even in the video game. He's a very different uh, enemy to to face. He's uh, a very intimidating because he is so big like that and you you really hear his steps yeah. and because of what his suit is now and what it's capable of and his intelligence he's uh, the the boss fight with him the way it works is 
you can only do each type of attack on him once because then he learns from it. Yeah. And and you can't do that again. And well, his, I never saw Mr. Freeze. The other, the other villains were different levels of insane, and I never saw him as insane. I saw yeah. him as angry. And, and his anger, what was always kind of a nice dichotomy, he's burning with rage, but he's frozen. Yeah. And... Mm. Uh, and so I always saw him as that, and that made him more dangerous to Batman because the others are crazy. They're just going to keep doing the what they do, and uh, that's why they keep doing it. I mean, if Batman says stop it, you should stop it, and they just keep doing it. The only other reason why you would keep doing it is is rage, and that's how I always saw him as you know, uh, very Frankensteinian that way, but. Uh, but it makes him it makes him interesting. I, I generally uh, like having those kind of things in my head when I'm drawing because it helps the drawing. Uh, Dead man I saw as uh, looking the way he did because though he was forced to deal with our world, he wasn't allowed to be in our world, and it started to affect him the same way uh, terrible addictions affect how people look. <clears throat> but it would be it was uh or abusive situation or you're abusing something and it would affect you physically and since he was not affected by our physics he could be in any kind of position in the in the panels and he would just that was it so um it it helped the drawing of the character and made him interesting to me uh rather than a guy who you know, was following the same superhero tropes, but a ghost. I want him to be ghostly <clears throat> and sad. I mean, that that's a sad thing. Um, he can't be part of this world. So he does what, you know, but he's, he's tasked with it. So it's, it's, I, I never saw it as like, Oh, that's good. I always thought it was like, God, he can't go on to wherever you're supposed to go. Um, and I used to tell, I used to tell, uh, both Mike and, and Mike Barron and Doug Mensch when I worked with them, that though that wasn't written in Mike's ideas, I, I would do it. And Mike said, well, no, just keep doing it. You know, that, that it, it works. And he made him, uh, he continued making him that kind of a tragic character. Um, rather than, rather than a superhero, who's a ghost, he was a, he, he actually fell into DC's, uh, uh, horror characters, while I, at least while I did them. I remember uh, Bernie Wrightson had told me when he saw it, it was one of those ideas he wished he would have had, and that that made me feel mm. good. It isn't. I wish I drew something like it was ideas, and it's like I said, it's always ideas. Uh, Neil Adams told me that too. He he really liked that it was so different than what he had. He never even saw it that way. Mm. And I went, well, there's no way to draw like you, Neil. So mm. you know. You have to take it in a different direction. Well, I mean, you do if you if you want to stand out. You take a character very few people care about, or you take a character that is absolutely seen by whoever is a very notable artist like Neil, and you do your own take on it and take your chances. Mm -hmm. It's the only it's the only chance you have because I I'm, I'm never going to be as good. Uh, and damn few are as, as someone like Neil Adams. So how else do you stand out? I was very fortunate to know Neil somewhat. And he had said to me how much he really admired 
my take on Batman and my take on Dead Man because that was his big things too, and and they weren't him, you know. Mm. And he asked me about it. Uh, actually, with Wrightson sitting right next to me, he asked me where did that all come from, and I told him kind of what I'm saying here, and he uh, he really liked that. I said mm. it's just impossible to do you, and people who did, they might have done a good job. It just it's still in the shadow of. Yeah, the and and everyone was trying to do well, Neil Adams. How could he not? It's like yeah. I think uh, there's certain guys who come along in their careers. Kirby's one, Adams is one, John Burns another, and they they create such a shockwave that uh, it's hard not to to be within the influence of that. And whereas I. I just, and that's probably what worked for me was I did not think I was going to be a comic book artist. I thought I was going to be other things, and I I really did fall into this. So I I had a lot of other influences. As much as I love comics, I I loved uh, film and film directors and how they told stories. So that had a big influence on me, uh, and still does. And so when I when I get to a point where um, someone will say something like this. It's it's hard not for me to say and these other guys too because but I don't think people will know or will look into it that way. But uh, but when someone of Neil's stature uh, said what he said, it was very liberating in a way. I mean, it isn't like oh my ego stroked and something praised. It was like. We weren't talking detailed. He was talking ideas, and it was the same with Wrightson. They were talking mm. ideas. That mm. the hardest thing to do is in any creative form is come up with the idea. Mm-hmm. And I've just been lucky. I don't. It's what I said earlier. I don't try to figure it out. And sometimes they'll ask me something. I'll go. Uh, I'll do it or whatever. And I don't have a clue until I step up to the plate of what I'm going to do. And I know so many guys will sketch and plan and do, and I, I, I find that too restrictive for me. I admire it. I wish I could do it, but I can't. Uh, the Mister Freeze is a one is is a odd thing for me because I had to sit down and design it in my head. I was just going to do it on paper, and that's how I typically do things. I didn't design how I was going to do Sandman or uh, Dead Man or even Batman. I didn't say here's how he'll look. I just sat down and did it. And there's an energy. I, I live on that energy. Um, but I'm not a... I'm not an artist in the sense that way. I'm not technically good. I'm not commercially good at following those rules because uh, it there's no stakes yet. The stakes of having to sit down, the deadline started, here's the script, let's get going. That level of... And now the the curtain is up. You got to act. That's where I, I'm not a rehearsal guy. Mm-hmm. Your your style. I mean, the way you describe it makes perfect sense because, you know, you don't technically sit. You don't normally sit down and do a sketch and design. You sit down and you let yourself just go across the page, and the art definitely shows that. Like this, this is an explosion. This is an explosion of vision onto the page. That is not constrained at all by, oh, I, I need to keep it this or I need to keep it that. This is yeah. just you exploding onto the page. And I think that's why it's so exciting. Your stuff is so exciting to see. 
Well, I appreciate that. And and a lot of what I do is uh, I'm very big on the one thing I spend a lot of time on is composition. And whether it's a cover or even panels on a page, I try to compose them to where they're uh, visually interesting before I really even get the drawing going. Um, and that I that's something uh, that I inherently, not that somebody said it, but I find I found the artists I really started to like were doing that. Now a lot of artists talk composition, but but the ones who did it so well, uh, I love Frank Rosetta's work. But when I got old enough to to think uh, about it, it was these compositions. They're just beautifully composed, no matter what uh, they work on the on the canvas and the in the visual space. They just work. I mean, even if you just outlined it and you saw none of the detail we did, mm-hmm. it works. It's mm-hmm. it's musical, and uh, and that's what I try to do. Is mm-hmm. the underpinning of my work is composition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare for we're so familiar with your work. We're so familiar with the characters you've done. It's rare for me to stumble across something that. I've never seen you do and yeah. it excites me because of that. And something that like my world's collided uh, doing research for this episode was I saw this piece by you, which I had yeah. never seen. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. Speaking of uh, Mr. Freeze thundering around yeah. making noise. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you? This is just such a gorgeous Sasquatch Bigfoot piece. Can you can you just talk about? Um... Uh, it, it was one again. I did for myself. I just <laughs> I, it's one of those that I wanted Even better. To do. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents had a place up in North Lake Tahoe, and it was and it is. It's still fairly remote, and it was uh, on. Uh, it was backed up onto federal land. So it was, no one was ever going to build up there or anything. It was pretty, pretty, uh, primal. And I remember as a kid, uh, that one of the people who lived near us, all the cabins were fairly remote, but one of them that did live near us was a, uh, high school teacher. And one of the things he did was taught cross country, skiing to the students at the local high school one it was fun and the other it's good to know that when you live in places like that that you can get around without machines and roads and he had i remember i was out with my father and we were doing something out in the front and it was and it snowed pretty good and i was a like i said a pretty young kid and he came up and asked my father uh, or just started talking to my father that he was cutting trails and uh, to teach these kids, uh, take them on a big, long 20 mile thing. And he went with his dogs and he said he was out in the middle of nowhere, kind of going where he wanted. And he came across these tracks, uh, which would be, you know, Bigfoot tracks. And he was asking my father if he'd ever seen anything like that or anyone around, uh, but they were like people prints. They weren't like snowshoes and his dogs wouldn't go any further Hmm. and they just quit. And he said, I can, I don't know. He says, this is the strange thing. My dad says, I have no idea. No, I haven't seen, we don't see anyone 
You have to come up this one lane in the depth, in the real deep forest. So uh, there's you can't like walk around it. You have to follow this, even though the, there's ten feet of snow. You're not. You got to follow the road, even if it's not that good. And that was that. And so I asked my dad, "What is he talking about?" And my dad just very casually said, "Well, there's people who say they've seen a big guy, big hairy man." And I went like, you know, and I'm thinking a guy who hadn't cut his hair. <laughs> and he kind of says, "No, something like this." Well, uh, it described kind of a Bigfoot guy, and you know, I don't think my dad believed it, or one way or the other. But he did take this guy seriously, and this guy wasn't saying Bigfoot. He never said that. And later on, when I got older, I asked my dad about that. I said, "Do you remember that?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "I think he saw. I think there was something there." Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're off in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the the that uh, there's probably and at that time, this is the early seventies. It it was really bizarre. It stays in your head. Luckily, I'd never seen, you know, you didn't see anything. You didn't hear anything. You just, this story. And then about a year or so later, um, the film Legend of Boggy Creek came out. And a bunch of the kids, we all went to the matinee theater and it was playing with something else. I don't remember the something else. I just remember that was scared the hell out of us. Mm. And I, at that point, I went, that's what this guy was talking about. Mm. You know, this is in a swamp, but he was talking in the mountains. This thing was in the mountains. So it just always stayed with me, you know. And as I've lived here in Northern California and in the foothills, you will occasionally hear people say, yeah, there's something to it. Mm. I mean, they're credible people. They're not saying this. They're just saying, yeah, there's something to that. It's too big of a place. And it is. Mm. Uh, Sierra Mountains are gigantic. I'm not talking their height, their width, and their the 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 chain itself, and they're very very. Uh, you do not get off the main roads, not out of fear of Bigfoot, but you don't get off the main roads because you will not make it. You know, um, you stay on the main roads because they're very treacherous, and uh, so and they're treacherous because they're obscure and canyons and stuff like that. So you just, uh, uh, you know. For your for that reason alone, not because there's a Bigfoot dude, but you hear that all over Northern California, even down down to wherever the mountains are, you'll hear it. Uh, just is so it's stuck in my head, and uh, you know who the hell knows. Um, and it just it just made an interesting drawing to me, and any of the descriptions of him, uh, they're always kind of the same. So I just did it. Well, what if I you know. Uh, 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 I always think like, well, if I saw it, would I draw it? Would I be one of those guys who could draw a good picture of it? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's funny because, uh, Gimlin, the, uh, Patterson Gimlin, one of yep. the Patterson, one of the dudes, it was his 91st birthday this week. Yep. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I'm friends with Lyle Blackburn and I'm, I, uh, always ask him, you know, I'll send him things like I'm, I'm just so curious about it, but, yeah. but up, where where I am, I think the power of it to me was how I heard it. I didn't see anything. Mm. Whatever, it was just a guy asking my dad, "Is there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, was there somebody around?" And and it is a very thick forest where we were, and a lot of snow, a lot of powder snow. You just don't walk around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you stay, and even when they plow, it's still the roads stink. 
but nobody came up past us. And this guy's cutting it first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always wished uh, in a situation like that, um, you always wish that you go back and take a picture of the tracks or measure. Oh, yeah. the tracks. But nobody, th- nobody thinks like that. That you know, it's nineteen oh, yeah. early seventies. You just don't think that way. Yeah, you just implanted the seed. No, of, and probably uh, my mom yelled at my dad, "Don't scare him with big <laughs> yeah. monsters in the forest." Because I used right. to go, you know, as ignorant as you were then, I used, I was pretty good at doing that, and we, I used to go off into the woods all by myself all the time. You know, you figure out how to get around. I, I probably had more to worry about with mountain lions. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, because those are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, a, I just realized that um, something they do is, I'm not sure what it is or why they do it. Something about like having to report or what, I don't know what, but there's a lot more big cats yeah. in areas that supposedly they're not native to, but yeah. they don't report them. Something to do with, I forget what policies. But... Uh, where I live is at the base of the foothills and they've been at the end of our street. Oh my God. And there's some ravines where the water, they channel the water and they follow the ravines. You know, it's where the, uh, they follow the deer. Mm. So, um, uh, it's one of those things where they're there. I mean, uh, we, uh, I spent a lot of time down at the North coast, uh, above about 60, 70 miles above, san francisco and you'll hear them at night oh my god you can hear them roaring it's a weird sound and it's their land (laughs) yeah it's it's theirs so you just are aware of it i mean they do tell people uh be armed or be careful when you're out in these rural places right and you're you're foolish if you aren't because you're you're a potential meal yeah, I, I I don't know that is, this was the same area, but uh, I saw this uh, picture and it was as part of an article. But I, one of the two Olsen twins, uh, when she goes hiking, she has in one hand a bottle of water and in the other hand a machete. Yeah, Some, uh, they'll t- like a lot of people you'll see have uh, not walking sticks, but they're heavy implements. Mm-hmm. They're 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 more than just a walking stick, and you're mm-hmm. foolish not to, mm-hmm. because uh, because uh, you also have pretty healthy sized bobcats here. You have um, in certain areas bears. Uh, California people think of it as L.A. or San Francisco, but most of it is extremely rural and remote. <laughs> the vast majority of to the north is very remote and you go into the mountains and you will, uh, you're a fool to get off the main roads. Mm-hmm. Um, so could something like this exist? Absolutely. I mean, it's so remote. I mean, they well, from time to time, a few years ago, they came across a plane crash up in the high mountains. Uh, it was world war two era. It was so cold and dry up there. The body had preserved and it was, uh, a pilot, in a training mission and there, th- no one knew, but there yeah. it is. And it, and th- th- what is it that they're just saying in California alone, there's like a couple hundred air uh, plane crashes. They've, ne- they've never found them. Whoa, man. The pl- it's just, the forests are so dense. Wow. 
And I've lived in them, and they are dense. Hmm. Re- filled with real monsters. With something there. Yeah. Um, what, before we let you go, uh, obviously it is the uh, season, and uh, this is something else you posted on your Twitter, which is just like, I think you said it was supposed to be a possible t-shirt idea. And oh, then it was. Maybe... It was uh, yeah, Preview it was Magazine's. Preview Magazine's put it out yeah. a couple years ago. A friend of mine I grew yeah, up with. Yeah, the Halloween Comic Fest was what that was for. Right. And a friend of mine who is the editor of Previews Magazine is Marty Grosser. He's a fellow that worked. I met him. He worked at uh, the comic book store I was going to as a kid. We were both kids. And uh, eventually he moved back east and took that job. And he's been there for like 30 years. So he had called me and said, would you do us a T-shirt for their Halloween design for for the show, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's so amazing." Every time, every, like the longer you look at it, the more amazing little things that you notice and see, and uh, just phenomenal. Like, and I love the little boy, yeah, just without fear, holding out his bag for candy. Well, yeah, I mean that's it's pure Halloween to me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love stuff uh, where I'm asked to do the the pleasure of being afraid, and you're not afraid. When I was a kid. The first time I saw Frankenstein scared me, but after I saw Bride of Frankenstein, I was on his side. And mm-hmm. there's a, I mean, there's a lot of scary stuff when you're a kid in those movies, especially when you see it the way we used to see it on flickering old TVs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I was on his side. I always hoped. Well, I hope he wouldn't tear my arm off like that poor dude. But mm-hmm. I, I'm on mm-hmm. his side. Yeah, my uh, my son is six. Uh, he's just about to turn six. And last year, um, he was he still is. He's obsessed with Universal Monsters. Specifically, he loves Creature from Black Lagoon. And last year, I remember, he said, Daddy, I want to watch the movie. And I was like, you know, I knew and he's very innocent, you know. And um, I told him, he goes, it might be a little scary. He's like, no, 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 Daddy, I think I can handle it. So we put on the Black and White Creature from Black Lagoon. Within, I want to say, the first five minutes, the score, the yeah. score alone. And Salter's score is terrifying. The score and the ominous, the, the the way it builds when they find the um, the claw inside, like the uh, the claw inside of the rock. He was yeah. done. Daddy, turn it off. Yep. Turn it off. Yeah. And it was so funny to me because I'm like, this. It's 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 amazing to see through fresh eyes. Yep. How scary this stuff really is. It, it is. And and when uh, for me, I can remember that we my parents would go boating. Uh, at a couple of the lakes we have here and I had not seen that film and again I was a kid this was around the same time as the Bigfoot thing and it was on television and my father liked this kind of stuff he liked everything but he he had no problem with horror films and he said hey this is on and I we had a rule I could watch whatever but I couldn't go running in their room <laughs> saying, ah, you know so so there were some pretty long nights, Tom. Where I, <laughs> I had to hang it in there, man, because Frank and I kicked in a door, and I said I wanted to watch this, or and and that was one of them. And I remember once he said after I'd seen it, a uh, couple of times we'd go to the lake, and he says, "You're not swimming like you used to. You used to go swimming, put on your little jacket and go swimming." And I said, hey, "I don't want to." And finally, <laughs> okay, Dad, what's the odd reason? Is the creature yeah. of the Black Lagoon? And my dad, without missing a beat, goes, oh, that's a good reason. Yeah. He could be out here. I don't know. <laughs> Just making it worse, piling well, it on. when you go fish, swimming in a lake or, or whatever, fish will touch your feet. Yeah. 
You know, they'll come up and they'll just bump you. They'll just see what you are. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I was used to that. Afterwards, if you see the film, he kind of touches her foot, right? When she's coming at the beginning. And at that point, I said, I'm never going in that (laughs) And just when I was getting better, they named Jaws. Oh, Oh, my God. Forget it. I didn't even go into my swimming pool as a kid. (laughs) Oh, man. Conspiracy um, to keep Kelly dry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad would push me into the shower. You know? yeah. uh, Kelly, it's always an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's such well, an amazing treat for much, us. Guys. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. The The guys that had to hop off, they wanted me to make sure to let you know that um, they had well, to get back to work. But they, they, they didn't want to miss the opportunity to hang with you. So um, thank you so much for helping make this an annual tradition. Let's keep it going. I enjoy you know? it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate uh, it. Hopefully, uh, I believe next year we'll have a lot more good stuff. I have a great project coming out with Matt Wagner uh, mm, that is oh. pure Halloween horror. So, Beautiful. Yeah. We look forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah. Thank you so much again, and uh, have a great Halloween, obviously, and the rest, uh, the rest of your week and all that. All and, right. And, and everyone, uh, go follow Kelly on Twitter if you yes. aren't already. And possibly, as you were saying before we got on, possibly watch out for you on Instagram. Yeah, that'll come. That'll that'll be that'll be coming up. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Kelly. Have a great day. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care.